Welcome to means of production. Welcome to waves and intensities. Welcome to the means of production. Welcome to waves and intensities. The means of production. Look, it cannot be seen. It is beyond form. Listen, it cannot be heard. It is beyond sound. Grasp, it cannot be held. It is intangible. These three are indefinable, therefore they are joined in one. The mean that can be told is not the eternal mean. The mean that can be named is not the eternal mean. The mean is the beginning of heaven and earth. The mean is the There are two dimensions to life, and we should be able to touch both. One is like a wave, and we call it the historical dimension. The other is like the water, and we call it the ultimate dimension, or nirvana. We usually touch just the wave, but when we discover how to touch the water, we receive the highest fruit that meditation can offer. The means of production, strange, mystical, and haunting, yet comforting somehow. Welcome to the Memes of Production, the 15th most popular fiction podcast in Mongolia and 54th in Vietnam. Memes of production and whiskers on kittens. yoke virgin yoke broke silken yellow dribble slips away from sticky white glisten slick seed trickle yoke austere in deshelled light right spilt yoke split bubble tinting handle glinting metal raw intent not fetal tight fingertips trace wistful tryst Throat contract, chase persist, 
unfulfilled fertility, this egg has excited me. Choke. Never devoured, nor deflowered, a destiny purely poached. Perpetual chastity, unbroken in naivety, demurely declines of the toast. Bear the yoke, no yield. Glass eggs swallowed, dreamy haze, unborn flaws penetrate. Chastity broke, mutual claws clasp oval walls, oral gasp. Raspy, dry throat. Release the tease of bloodied tears. Hastily choke. Shards flood in tatters. Dreamy night shatters. A breathe close to me. Choke. Bear the yoke. No yield. Greetings. In her early 20s, Agnes went through a phase of extreme anxiety concerning the etiquette of greeting people. It started when she'd been doing a trial shift at a bar. At the end of the night, she went over to the manager to say goodbye, hoping to leave a good impression so that he might offer her further paid work. But somehow they had ended up in an arm wrestle. Both she and the manager had looked down at their gripped embrace with horror. Soon after, she bumped into one of her former university lecturers in the high street. He was not someone she had ever known particularly well, but as he stood there awkwardly, hands in pockets, she went in for a hug, loosely pincering him like one of those mechanical arms at the fairground arcades. She remembers nothing of the brief conversation that followed, and then shaking the hand of her girlfriend's mum on their fifth meeting, despite having previously gotten drunk together on cheap wine. The afterimages of these encounters haunted her. As they played over in her mind, she would find herself, when on the bus or in the shower, muttering strange sentences under her breath. Agnes needed to do something to short-circuit the anxiety, so made a decision. She would kiss everyone she met directly on the mouth. It was an effective fix. The decisiveness built her confidence and made her feel in control. She found most people were taken aback, but the consequences of what at first she assumed would be risky turned out to be small. After a period of around six weeks, she found she could return to a more nuanced approach, reading the other person's body language and acting appropriately. When she got it wrong, it was forgotten soon enough. Sometimes the most natural looking of gestures, the most effortless, are the ones that have taken the most practice. Boris Johnson takes out his trusty pestle and mortar. 
he places his Malcolm in the Middle DVD within the bowl and enthusiastically grinds it up into a fine dust. He removes his wretched, sweaty testicles from within his trousers. He dips each testicle into the powder and shuffles them about. This will stop them sticking to my legs for a brief time. He smiles. He calls this homemade concoction his Johnson's Malcolm powder. This poem is called New Wave. Absolute clarity is like bathing in shimmering white light and being pulled into a mighty great black hole. Everything is simultaneously terrifying and exhilarating. Remember who your friends are. You're listening to the Muse Art Production. Chips treat for English neighbours. Brad Pitt treated his UK neighbours to fish and chips as a farewell gift. Brad Pitt treated his UK neighbours to fish and chips. The Killing Them Softly actor has been living in Surrey, South England, with his fiancée Angelina Jolie and their six children for the past few months while she shot the movie Maleficent and he worked on The Counselor and World War Z and decided to splash out on the other residents of the neighbourhood before they left. A source told the Sun newspaper Brad and Angelina wanted to say thank you to their neighbours. They normally go for posh dinners but as Americans they love the traditional British stuff too. It's not like their normal diet and they fancied a bit of a change. While Brad had two movies to work on during his time in England, he also discovered a love of cleaning. A source previously said, Brad has always been an attentive father, but recently he's becoming more domesticated too. The couple have a lot of help around the home, but Brad started getting quite into sorting out the washing and doing the ironing himself. He's been pottering around the house a bit while Angie's away, and it's helped to keep him occupied. He likes nothing more than doing a bit of housework before getting the kids to help him prepare dinner, which they love. He's turned into a right Mr Muscle. He's also been going to the local supermarket and runs errands to the local dry cleaners in Camberley. The 
Volumes of production, fresh, piping hot noise, straight from the oven. The Memes of Production approaches the Memes of with an extremely broad plate. The Memes of Production is made from 100% racist beef. Dear Fred, it is very glad to know you from internet. Our company, Shenzhen JRTG Technology Company Limited, is a professional electric scooter supplier in China. We are specialized in supply various types of electric scooters, electric bikes. We can make OEM for our customer also. Green power will bring us better future. Hope connect with you from all over the world to make the world more beautiful. We believe that mutual benefits will make cooperation last long and we are searching worldwide partners. If you have any inquiry, please feel free to contact us. Best regards, Judy Q, Sales Manager. Shenzhen, JRTG Technology Company Limited. Address 3F, number 102, building Danglang, Langhuan, Speed Road, Longhua District, Shenzhen, Guangdong, China. Telephone, plus 86-0769-812-75541. Stamattina mi sono alzato, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Stamattina mi sono alzato e ho trovato l'invaso. Oh partigiano, portami via, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Partigiano, portami via, che mi sento di morire. E se io muoio da partigiano, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. E se muoio da partigiano, tu mi devi seppellire. E seppellire la sua montagna, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Seppellire la sua montagna sotto l'ombra di un verbio. Tutte le genti che passeranno, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Tutte le genti che passeranno, che diranno che verbio. E questo fiore è partigiano. from my second novel The Crowd Pleaser. In this scene Mike is talking to his older crush Natalie on the phone. He was dancing on the bed. He was kicking his legs in the air. He saw himself in the mirror and didn't recognise his face, split in half by smiles. Mona coughed from the next room. Send me a photo, he said, chancing his look. She instantly hung up. What had he done? He had taken it too far. She'd been married for years. The revolution in digital oversharing had probably passed her by. 
He had horrified her, been crude when she needed fine treatment, tried her patience one last time. He went to text an apology and saw a swirl of dots under her name, like dust around a depression era farm. He should tell her he was joking. You could excuse a lot in jokes. How angry had he made her? A message came through. Natalie stood in this message, with her back to a mirror, her face dominating the frame. Unmade up, huge-eyed, lips parted, her face pink from the bath. She had a towel over her front, but behind her was the white curve of her back and the reflection of her bottom. Unlike most bottoms, it wasn't funny. It had dignity, it was serious, it had gravitas. Mike kept eyeing the bedroom door as though he were doing something illegal. Your go, Natalie said. Mike looked down at himself. Hadn't Oscar Wilde said that beauty is that which does not excite desire? Oscar Wilde was fucking nuts. You want an arty one, or... Surprise me, she said, if we're being naughty. I mean, are we breaking BBFC guidelines here, or... I have little respect for guidelines, she said. Mike took off the duvet and looked at himself in his phone's camera. To capture anything, he would have to hold the phone over his head, but this made his body look as bad as all looked down upon things. His breasts were far too breasty, his stomach pillowed out. You went through life thinking yourself attractive, and then you saw yourself like this. Cameras had no fondness, they made no excuses, they didn't care for vanity. He was going to have to send a picture of his cock. Mike lay on the bed. He looked at the photo she'd sent and stroked himself. Natalie couldn't possibly want a photograph of his erection. You couldn't see how one hard-on could differ from another, but then he hadn't researched. He took the photograph. He could send this without shame, or without one specific shame. Except, this could all be a trap. She would make his penis public. For all he knew, she had the CD. She hated him. It would be added to his sins. Waiting, she said. Mike forwarded her nude to his Gmail account, then opened it on his laptop, which he balanced on his knees. He would make sure her original picture was in the shot, so she wouldn't be able to share it. She could always digitally get rid of herself, but it was the best that he could do. Mistrustful thoughts had softened him. Mike looked again at her picture, thought about her, thought about touching her, until he hardened up and examined himself through his phone. His stomach was still more padded than he liked, so he tried sucking it in. It looked like a sucked-in stomach. There was nothing to do about that, and at least he could leave out his tits. He didn't even like having them touched, they sent ticklish shivers right through him. Mike let go of his cock, but it refused to stand at the angle he wanted it to. He held it in place. This made taking the photograph difficult. He needed both hands to take a photograph, one to hold the camera in place, one to press the icon that took the picture. Mike's hands were just about large enough for him to use his thumb, but it would take a couple of goes. On the first try, the phone slipped from his fingers and landed on his chest. The camera switched off. Mike switched it back on, letting go of his cock, which had started to subside. His laptop switched to screensaver. Mike used the hand he'd previously held his cock with to flick the screen back on, then returned to his phone and his cock. He looked some more at Natalie's picture, thought more about Natalie, thought about the day that was maybe coming when she'd realised how much she needed him and invite his body towards her. Mike said Natalie. He looked through the phone's camera, but the image had been reversed and he saw his own grimacing face which had grown more chins. He yelped and reversed the image back to his cock. He held the cock in place and stretched his thumb until he reached the icon that took the picture. Mike pressed this icon four times, freed his hands and looked at the pictures. Two of them were wobbly and unclear, but one was acceptable. 
His cock was alert and Natalie's image in focus. He better get it sent. He hoped she wasn't appalled. He had no idea if women liked erect penises. Somehow there was never the time to ask. Genghis Khan is considered the founding father of Mongolia. He came to power by uniting many of the nomadic tribes of Northeast Asia, establishing the largest empire in the world, exceeded only by the British Empire. In a span of just 25 years, Genghis Khan's horsemen conquered an area larger and greater in population than the Romans did in four centuries. Mongolia is big, but maybe not as big as you think. You could fit the Netherlands into Mongolia, 37 times. It is the world's 18th largest country. Mongolia is home to endangered snow leopards. Snow leopards are native to Mongolia, and one third of the world's population lives there. Fun fact, a snow leopard cannot roar or purr. Vietnam has many forested regions and rolling hills. High mountain peaks can be found in the northern parts of the country. Hanoi is Vietnam's capital city. It is situated in the country's north. Many dishes in Vietnam consist mainly of rice and vegetables, as well as fish, seafood, chicken or beef. said was, let there be light. I wasn't sure if I could take him seriously. I'm sitting there looking at his face like, are, are you crazy? What was going on? Bam. Then it was there. You know, he, it, it, it was like an ordinary guy. Nothing, if you looked at him, nothing about him looked out of order, nothing that really looks special, but I wasn't really, couldn't really be sure, it's like looking for an incident behind the incidents behind the incidents, you know, several layers deep, you know, before you know it, you're lost, you don't really know where you are, you're trying to find your bearings, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to describe. It's like trying to see behind a brick wall, you know, bending light. But you can't really bend light. No. But. I don't know. And then it stopped. That's all there was to it. There's no, no more, no more light bending, no more. 
At any given moment, the means of production whispering to us, telling us hidden stories, revealing subliminal connections. of production takes it seriously, but not literally. 
The memes of production, a set of shared assumptions, sensations, memories and feelings forming the basis of our sense of collective purpose. Jeremy Gilbert. There have been a growing number of anti-vaccination conspiracy Suddenly theory. people deny the existence of the new coronavirus. They believe the virus is a hoax. Earlier that day in anti-lockdown They believe that the pandemic has been orchestrated by a global elite. A perfect storm for conspiracy theory. Over the last few weeks, some people have been saying online that the virus is harmless, or even that it doesn't exist. I've gone back and forth on this. My first instinct was to ridicule, and I felt I should have more empathy and try to understand how someone could come to think this way and what external factors might have played a role. Your average conspiracy theorist has lived under the 90-year reign of PR, which is just professionalised lying. Cigarettes are good for you, etc. They've lived through weapons of mass destruction, austerity, countless examples blatant lies told to us with absolute certainty by those with authority. Our government is laughably corrupt, our advice is incoherent, contradictory and poorly explained. There's little reason to believe what we've been told. And I'm not placing myself above it all. I believe Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, nor did Lee Harvey Oswald act alone. We've all become Alex Jones. We've all read the documents. We all know the secret truth buried beneath the layers of lies. Republicans genuinely believe the Democrats stole the election from Trump. Liberals genuinely believe Putin elected Trump and caused Brexit. Democratic results are never valid unless your side wins. And in the spirit of consumer capitalism, you now have a range of conspiracies to pick from algorithmically tailored to your ideological needs and preferences. Misinformation spreads like wildfire. Facebook and Twitter blocking stories unflattering to the Democrats only reinforces people's inclination that the truth is being hidden. Lockdown boredom, no human contact, everything mediated through a screen, reality melts. This conspiracy cuts across class lines, from working middle to upper class, across race, gender, sexual orientation, educated and uneducated, a broad coalition. And now, every podcast has done an episode about conspiracies, but it's boring, you're boring me. So what can we do? Very few of us are ever won over by reasoned argument, by logic, facts and reasons. Now I'm feeling angry and wanting to ridicule again. Now NHS staff report, huge groups of unmasked protesters standing at the entrances of hospitals and even inside the receptions, chanting, shouting, screaming, spreading their spit and germs. You can all go f*** yourselves. Tiring and tiresome. My patience is over. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Means of production does not endorse the views in the next piece. Okay, okay. I'll get started if I may. Man, have I got some shit to say today? 
Did you know as of March 19th, COVID-19 was no longer a HCID? Visit the Gov website to see. Which means it's no stronger than a common cold, it's no longer high consequence, but you wasn't told. Got a sneeze or cough? Google Wim Hof and see what your body is capable of. See, the problem is we need philosophers inside of offices. Socrates warned us about these fuckeries and the flaws in democracy, but obviously dictatorship's not the solution. But what is then? Revolution? History would suggest probably not. See, we tend to become what it's for. Kill him, he's a murderer. Have you heard of a more ironic statement? It's moronic like that. Little shit, you stole my wallet. Big companies know how to hack your mind to extract your dimes while you try to buy that missing piece that you can't seem to find. Corporations and governments are intertwined. Tell me honestly, you think your health is their priority? They predominantly use power and privilege to put pennies in their pockets and they're not going to stop it. Solutions in your own inner revolution. Be aware of the thoughts your mind's producing and start choosing to loosen your grip on the ones that make you feel like shit. You're in a dream and you need to wake up from it. Spits leaking out the creak of your mouth. There's a pool of drool on the pillow but lies creeping in from the window because the curtains have cracked. You need a fucking slap before it's too late. I ought to get a bucket of water. Whack open your front door and pour it in your face. Give your shoulders a shake and scream in your face. Wake up for fuck's sake. something. This sure as hell ain't it. Tweet sent from the CIA Central Intelligence Agency Twitter account. Take a breath. The workday can be overwhelming. We offer our officers a quiet space to step away and catch their breath. Deep breathing is one of the easiest forms of relaxation you can practice and use on your own. Hashtag Wednesday Wisdom. There are other functions, however, some of them more legitimate than others. One is to run secret wars, the covert action that's written and talked about so much, like what's happening in Nicaragua today from Honduras. Another thing is to 
disseminate propaganda to influence people's minds, and this is a major function of the CIA. And uh, unfortunately, of course, it overlaps into the gathering of information. You, you, you have contact with a journalist, you will give him true stories, you'll get information from him, you'll also give him false stories. Did you do buy his confidence with true stories? You buy his confidence and set him up. We've seen this happen in, you know, recently with Jack Anderson, for example, who, who has his intelligence sources, and he has also admitted that he's been set up by him. You know, every fifth story just simply being false. Uh, you also work on their human vulnerabilities to recruit them in a classic sense to make them your agent so that you can control what they do so you don't have to set them up sort of, you know, by, by putting one over on them so you can say, here, plant this one next Tuesday. Can you do this with responsible reporters? Yes, the Church Committee brought it out in 1975 and then Woodward and Bernstein put an article in Rolling Stone a couple of years later. Uh, 400 journalists cooperating with the CIA, uh, including some of the biggest names in the business, to consciously introduce the stories into the press. These had been living in this backyard shed for at least two years. The landlord wanted to call an exterminator, but the family who lived here wanted to save the bees, so they called me. When I lifted up the floor, I found a huge hive full of gentle bees. The hive was so big that I had to remove another section of floor to access the entire thing. Then I started removing the hive. Whatever I removed from the original hive went right into the new one so that the bees would have everything they need to survive. After I removed all of the comb, I started scooping bees into the new hive. As soon as I put the bees by the new hive, they marched right in. Then a stream of bees began running out from under the floor into the new hive. So I waited and watched to see if I could spot the queen bee in the crowd. After about 15 minutes, she appeared, so I put her in a clip to keep her safe. Once the queen was in the new hive, some bees began sending signals to help the other bees find their way home. I left the hive overnight to give every bee time to move in, and by the next morning, the colony was in their new home and it was another great day of saving the bees. person. I don't know you, but you're saying bullshit because there are two different kind of recipes. One is for gelato and one for ice cream. And just remember something, darling, that gelato was invented by Sicilians. So I'm quite sure that that gelato is done correctly. The means of production, freezing you up, freezing you down like an icicle coming in your tent in the pink light scissor bite arctic death infinite night. But y'all ain't ready for that conversation. Hi, my name is Michelle Burke and I am a sound healing practitioner in Los Angeles. And today I'm going to present a 10 minute sound meditation for Heart Alchemy Yoga here on YouTube. And I hope you enjoy your experience. And if you want to learn more about what I do, you can visit sonicbeing.com. And right now I welcome you to relax, close your eyes. You might want to lay down um, on the ground or 
um, just sit in a meditation position and uh, just let the sounds take over and I'll see you on the other side. To be naked is to be oneself. To be nude is to be seen naked by others and yet not recognized for oneself. A naked body has to be seen as an object in order to become nude. Finally, I disrobed, already set in the position Chris had specified. I was visible from all sides, slightly lifted on a platform. I was fully exposed. The stand, in the round, and just beneath 11 easels, each with an accompanying glass palette on a rolling cabinet array of brushes, messy tubes of paint, each accompanied by a young occupant seated and gazing, gazing upward toward me, or rather they gained, gazed upward toward my body. Remember to use the head as a guide. Measure the width and the length of the head, how many heads to the shoulder, how many heads to the breast, the navel. Chris paced behind the students. Each student, every single one, pulled a brush from their organizers and lifted it directly at my body. Indeed, they measured me. They, with incredibly straight arms, one eye closed each, untilted shoulders, aimed their brushes vertically at me, at my body. They analyzed for a second. Then they marked where my head ended by placing the nail of the thumb somewhere along the length of the brush. Then mechanically they lifted the straightened arm and transferred the measurement to the canvas. The process of aiming and measuring and capturing repeated. With each return I felt more at ease. Though I regularly felt this unending sense of personal shame pressing me into the earth, making me treat my space as a cage in this moment, I was stripped of any and all control. While regularly, I leap at the chance of taking the picture to avoid being captured in one. While regularly, I refuse to look in mirrors or leave the house without makeup. I was free beneath the mask of nudity. The freedom of unchoice clothed me. I was not nude, my body was. This was not out of character, I found. This was not a symptom of my narcissism, nor was it a symptom of my insipid propensity for treating myself as an object devoid of value below the surface. No, this was not me at all. This was a collaboration, me and the artist, each artist seeing me from a different position, capturing me in a way that was only available to the eyes of the looker, a picture half captured, and half communicated, half me, half them. Each picture was an us. All that was left was my mask itself, 
Ironically, in this moment, I wore a mask. While I was completely nude otherwise, removing my mask felt far too intimate. Time passed. I have no idea how long. All I knew was I was stiffening. I saw Chris pacing, softly speaking to students, motioning toward my body, and transferring new analyses or measurements to their ear. And finally, a beep. Want to take a break? Sure. I forced a pleasant and clear response. I was set up, draping myself in the guise of comfortableness. I lifted my robe from the chair and carefully, to avoid appearing too eager, redressed. I reached for my water bottle, but suddenly I became aware that taking a sip would require me to remove my mask. I hesitated and slightly glanced across the array of students, hoping they didn't catch my hesitation. But all were focused on and evaluating the me on the canvas. Still, I held for a second before attempting to lower my mask again. If you all want to look at Delaney's for a second, I helped her with her proportions. The students moved toward the easel directly behind me. I want you to make good use of your canvas. Select a portion of the model and make that portion as close to lifelike as possible. And when they were out of my line of sight, I lowered my mask and took a sip. I dreamt I was going to cross-stitch the peach emoji. I dreamt I was feasting on treaties. There was a lot of raw meat in my dream last night. I had a dream I was recording a jingle for a condom commercial, but it was just Mary had a little lamb and my recording kept getting messed up. I was dreaming I'd been turned into a vampire. I dreamt about chimpanzees. They were wild and lived in the parking lot of a church. They'd found a drum kit down the street and were moving it piece by piece to their area. I dreamt I'd ordered a special Duolingo tutoring thing, and it was just this big binder a woman put together. Most of it was just tips on French, but then at the end, there were a bunch of photos of her naked husband. I dreamt my laptop started moaning and making these terrible sounds. I touched it and evil spirits entered me. Then I was trying to cast the spirits out of myself. I was even saying the power of Christ compels you. I hope neither of the girls ever gets possessed. 
I had a weird dream that some kind of sentient fungus was growing out of my TV. I dreamt I could grow crystals, plants, and rare metals out of the palms of my hands. Last night I dreamt I was working in a nursing home and a woman had just died and I put my hands on her and was able to bring her back to life. And the feeling I got when she became alive again was amazing. I could feel her life force rush through my whole body. I also put my hands on her head and grew hair for her because she'd lost all her hair getting cancer treatments. I felt powerful. I had a really intense and scary dream. The government had sent a woman to kill me, so I was on the run. I'd crossed the border into another country, but she found me. I was trying to hide in a store, but she threw a bomb into it. I was able to get away before it detonated, but I saw a bunch of bodies fly out of the building when it went off. Then I was in another store hiding and realized both me and the woman had strong mental powers we could send out of our eyes. I made eye contact with her and was able to program her to die in five minutes. Then she died in my arms with me comforting her. back some semblance of meaning in the empty void in which we now reside. ever sacked me. The 20 years and infinite experiences between the two roles made it the more clear that whatever we do, we're still just pros. So, four days after I handed in my dissertation, I was sat at this workstation thinking about youthful promise and how I honestly once thought that I was destined for something more, but then I realised it was a choice between selling out and staying poor. You can either exploit yourself or be exploited, it's as simple as that. And really, it just felt better to be back in my natural habitat, so what had changed? Couldn't smoke at the bench anymore, couldn't wear headphones, most people were on agency now so you didn't get your production bonus. Two reasons to smoke less, but ironically the pains in my chest had increased tenfold and it scared me to death, of death. But when I really thought back, the change was something a little more abstract. Now you could taste the hatred, now we're truly forsaken ourselves for the sake of wealth we were never going to gain in the first place. And I could see a coffin, a sword, the gods of the north, the stars, some trouble, the outer walls, the chimney, the rubble where I'd made my first ever mattress and then the chimney collapsed, the last destroyed remnant of a long lost past and his lung collapsed, the last destroyed remnant of a once great man, I snapped myself out of it and lined up at the cob van but the rest of the day was a bit of a blur and I 
Tried not to think about the people I'd hurt And the depths to which I'd learn I could sink if I just tried But when I got home I just cried And then I remembered I was angry I made a fist and punched the sofa where the girls used to sit I tried to calm down a bit and I smoked in the bath But I knew that I could never go back Make what you want of that It might be hurtful, it might be painful But it's truthful That was the very last day that I was useful Modern life is hell. Social media induces rage, and excessive use destroys your sanity. Neediness, spite, owning your enemies, trolling, etc., etc. You subtweeting little I withdraw, then regard those who remain with pity, disgust. See their minds degrade in real time, lapsing ever further to reactionary incoherence slathered in bitter, twisted, ironic detachment. You people are unwell. Just log off. Log the f*** off. Even after I withdraw, 
my interior monologue, a deafening shrill cacophony, attacks, critiques, anger, retribution, wanting to correct, to destroy, to ridicule, my soul poisoned. The residue of old arguments linger inside me, tweets stretching back years I wish I could respond to. Finally, I have a comeback three years too late. Though we aren't powerless, we feel powerless. And in our perceived powerlessness, all we do is sit on social media and react to events. Those of us who are especially articulate, overconfident, narcissistic, and create a following, maybe even monetize our reactions. I'll go back on, just for a couple of hours. And now, desperate for attention, pathetically needy, zero likes on any of my tweets, I take it very personally. Back off for another three month break, boredom fully baked in. I set my fury and irritation on the various podcast hosts whose lifestyles I fund via Patreon, you privileged pieces of under socialism, anyone with a successful Patreon should be forced to do a year of hard manual labour to keep them grounded and get them out of the house. Posing new tweets in my head, unsent, the impulse remains. Our interior lives, colonised by Jack Dorsey. Have you ever seen a photo of this or read an interview with him? The guy's an idiot. Idiot. Deep breaths. Calm yourself. Let it all go. I yearn to be peaceful rested, enlightened, serene, soft and gentle as a flower on a warm summer's day. The memes of production will teach you how to live wisely, to think deeply, and to love generously.
Kraft Music Hall next Thursday when our usual Christmas show will include the Kraft Choral Society. With Bing singing Adesta Fidelis and Silent Night and with John Scott Trotter and his orchestra Eugenie Baird and the Charioteers. Derek Colonna appeared on tonight's show for the courtesy of Pepsodent. In the merry round of Christmas time parties, treat your guests to a variety of surprises made with Pabstep cheese food. You can serve delicious golden Pabstep in a hundred or more appetizing ways. Pabstep spreads and toasts to perfection for sandwiches and snacks. Adds rich cheddar cheese flavor to omelets, Welsh rabbits, and souffles. Don't forget to buy Pabstep. Add delicious, nourishing Pabstep cheese food to your shopping list tomorrow. Crossing Brooklyn Ferry by Walt Whitman Flood tide below me, I see you face to face Clouds of the west, sun there half an hour high, I see you also face to face Crowds of men and women attired in the usual costumes, how curious you are to me. On the ferry boats, the hundreds and hundreds that cross, returning home, are more curious to me than you suppose. And you, that shall cross from shore to shore years hence, are more to me and more in my meditations than you might suppose. The impalpable sustenance of me from all things at all hours of the day, the simple, compact, well-joined scheme myself disintegrated, everyone disintegrated yet part of the scheme, the similitudes of the past and those of the future, the glories strung like beads on my smallest sights and hearings on the walk in the street and the passage over the river, the current rushing so swiftly and swimming with me far away, the others that are to follow me, the ties between me and them, the certainty of others, the life, love, sight, hearing of others. Others will enter the gates of the ferry and cross from shore to shore. Others will watch the run of the flood tide. Others will see the shipping of Manhattan north and west and the heights of Brooklyn to the south and east. Others will see the islands large and small. Fifty years hence, others will see them as they cross the sun half an hour high. A hundred years hence, or ever so many hundred years hence, others will see them, will enjoy the sunset, the pouring in of the flood tide, the falling back to the sea of the ebb tide. It avails not, time nor place, distance avails not. I am with you, you men and women of a generation, or ever so many generations hence. Just as you feel when you look on the river and sky, so I felt. Just as any of you is one of a living crowd, I was one of a crowd. Just as you are refreshed by the gladness of the river and the bright flow, I was refreshed. Just as you stand and lean on the rail, yet hurry with the swift current, I stood, yet was hurried. Just as you look on the numberless masts of ships and the thick-stemmed pipes of steamboats, I looked. I, too, many and many a time crossed the river of old. 
watched the 12-month seagull, saw them high in the air, floating with motionless wings, oscillating their bodies, saw how the glistening yellow lit up parts of their bodies and left the rest in strong shadow, saw the slow wheeling circles and the gradual edging toward the south, saw the reflection of the summer sky in the water, had my eyes dazzled by the shimmering track of beams, looked at the fine centrifugal spokes of light round the shape of my head in the sunlit water, looked on the haze on the hills southward and southwestward, looked on the vapor as it flew in fleeces tinged with violet, looked toward the lower bay to notice the vessels arriving, saw their approach, saw aboard those that were near me, saw the white sails of schooners and sloops, saw the ships at anchor, the sailors at work in the rigging or out astride the spars, the round masts, the swinging motion of the hulls, the slender serpentine pennants, the large and small steamers in motion, the pilots in their pilot houses, the white wake left by the passage, the quick tremulous whirl of the wheels, the flags of all nations, the falling of them at sunset, the scalloped edged waves in the twilight, the ladled cups, the frolicsome crests and glistening, the stretch afar growing dimmer and dimmer, the gray walls, the granite storehouses by the docks, on the river, the shadowy group, the big steam tug closely flanked on each side by the barges, the hay boat, the belated lighter. On the neighboring shore, the fires from the foundry chimneys burning high and glaringly into the night, casting their flicker of black, contrasted with wild red and yellow light over the tops of houses and down into the clefts of streets. These and all else were to me the same as they are to you. I loved well those cities, loved well the stately and rapid river, the men and women I saw were all near to me, others the same, others who looked back on me because I looked forward to them. The time will come, though I stop here today and tonight. What is it then between us? What is the count of the scores or hundreds of years between us? Whatever it is, it avails not, distance avails not, and place avails not, I too lived Brooklyn of ample hills was mine. I too walked the streets of Manhattan Island and bathed in the waters around it. I too felt the curious abrupt questioning stir within me. In the day among crowds of people, sometimes they came upon me. In my walks home late at night or as I lay in my bed, they came upon me. I too had been struck from the float forever held in solution. I too had received identity by my body that I knew was of my body and what I should be, I knew I should be of my body. It is not upon you alone the dark patches fall. The dark threw its patches down upon me also. The best I had done seemed to me blank and suspicious. My great thoughts as I supposed them, were they not in reality meager? Nor is it you alone who know what it is to be evil. I am he who knew what it was to be evil. I too knitted the old knock of contrariety. I blabbed, blushed, resented, lied, stole, grudged, had guile, anger, lust, hot wishes I dare not speak, was wayward, vain, greedy, shallow, sly, cowardly, malignant, the wolf, the snake, the hog, not wanting in me, the cheating look, the frivolous word, the adulterous wish, not wanting, Refusals, hates, postponements, meanness, laziness, none of these wanting. Was one with the rest, the days and haps of the rest. Was called by my nighest name, by clear loud voices of young men as they saw me approaching or passing. Felt their arms on my neck as I stood, or the 
negligent leaning of their flesh against me as I sat, saw many I loved in the street or ferry boat or public assembly, yet never told them a word, lived the same life with the rest, the same old laughing, gnawing, sleeping, played the part that still looks back on the actor or actress, the same old role, the role that is what we make it, as great as we like or as small as we like, or both great and small. Closer yet I approach you, what thought you have of me now, I had as much of you, I laid in my stores in advance, I considered long and seriously of you before you were born. Who was to know what should come home to me? Who knows but I am enjoying this, who knows for all the distance, but I am as good as looking at you now for all you cannot see me. Oh, what can ever be more stately and admirable to me than mast-hemmed Manhattan, river and sunset and scallop-edged wave of flood tide, the seagulls oscillating their bodies, the hay boat in the twilight and the belated lighter, what gods can exceed these that clap me by the hand and with voices I love call me promptly and loudly by my nighest name as I approach, what is more subtle than this which ties me to the woman or man who looks in my face which fuses me into you now and pours my meaning into you? We understand then, do we not? What I promised without mentioning it, have you not accepted? What the study could not teach, what the preaching could not accomplish is accomplished, is it not? Flow on, river. Flow with the flood tide and ebb with the ebb tide. Frolic on, crested and scallop-edged waves. Gorgeous clouds of the sunset drench me with your splendor, me. Or the men and women generations after me cross from shore to shore. Countless crowds of passengers stand up tall masts of Manahata, stand up beautiful hills of Brooklyn, throb baffled and curious brain, throw out questions and answers, suspend here and everywhere eternal float of solution, gaze loving and thirsting eyes in the house or street or public assembly. Sound out voices of young men loudly and musically, call me by my nighest name, live old life, play the part that looks back on the actor or actress, play the old role, the role that is great or small according as one makes it, Consider, you who peruse me, whether I may not in unknown ways be looking upon you. Be firm, rail over the river, to support those who lean idly, yet haste with the hasting current. Fly on, seabirds, fly sideways or wheel in large circles high in the air. Receive the summer sky you water and faithfully hold it till all downcast eyes have time to take it from you. Diverge, find spokes of light from the shape of my head or anyone's head in the sunlit water. Come on, ships from the lower bay, pass up or down, white-sailed schooners, sloops, lighters, flaunt away, flags of all nation, be duly lowered at sunset. Burn high your fires, foundry chimneys, cast black shadows at nightfall, cast red and yellow light over the tops of the houses. Appearances, now or henceforth, indicate what you are. You necessary film, continue to envelop the soul, about my body for me and your body for you be hung out divinest aromas. Thrive, cities. Bring your freight, bring your shows, ample and sufficient rivers. Expand, being then which none else is perhaps more spiritual, keeping your places, objects, than which none else is more lasting. You have waited, you always wait, you dumb, beautiful ministers. We receive you with free sense at last and are insatiate henceforward. Not you any more shall be able to foil us or withhold yourselves from us. We use you 
and do not cast you aside. We plant you permanently within us. We fathom you not. We love you. There is perfection in you also. You furnish your parts toward eternity. Great or small, you furnish your parts toward the soul.